Good morning. Thank you, and happy Mother's Day. Thank you, thank you. Um, but it is a privilege to be um, bringing the Word of God to you this morning. Um, my name is Chelsea, if I haven't had the chance to meet you. I am the counselor on our ministry team here at The Fold. And I, in, on this very special day of Mother's Day, uh, I think Caroline did a beautiful job of acknowledging the sweetness of today and sometimes the challenge of holidays like today. Um, so wherever you find yourself this morning, um, welcome. And I believe that the Lord has purpose for you here, whether this is the first time you've ever been here, whether you're visiting with family, or whether you're here every time the doors are open. We're grateful um, to have you with us this morning. So <clears throat> this morning, we are continuing our Lowborn series. We have been studying passages of scripture that point to Jesus being the king that we never saw coming. It's a very unexpected leader. And so this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 27. So if you want to flip there, scroll there, however you want to get to that passage this morning. We are in Matthew 27, verses 50 to 56. So right before <clears throat> a little context for where we pick up, um, Jesus is on the cross. Um, we are right in the midst of the most grieving, most difficult moments uh, of the crucifixion. And beginning in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your truth. God, I thank you that you have words for us this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that as we reflect on scripture study this text together, that you would bring to life the things that you have for each of us individually, that all the other things would fall away. God, we thank you for the purpose that you have. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you would say that you have a good imagination? Hands. Yes. Readers, you guys, readers enjoy reading. So sometimes we have to have a good imagination with a good fiction book. Um, every time I 
have somebody who says, well, did you read the book first before you saw the movie? No, I really never do. I'm just a movie person. I haven't read a really good uh, fiction book in a long time. So if you have recommendations, bring them on. Um, but I want us to use our imaginations this morning. I really want us to immerse ourselves in this text. Um, there's a very specific audience that Matthew is speaking to in his account, his gospel. And I believe that there are specific things that he adds to his account here that are very relevant for his audience. And so that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Um, but as we are in our imaginations, I want you to put yourself in this place. The year is 33 AD, and as a Jewish man, maybe you're shepherding, farming, trading craftsman goods in the city center, perhaps you're a tent maker like Saul, soon to be Paul, or maybe a carpenter like Joseph. Your early years were spent learning, memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which you've lived by your whole life. You grew up defined by your family, your social standing, your ability to own land, and any influence came from your paternal lineage, your father's line. As a male, your value was in your strength. In an effort to grow your family's influence, you eventually marry and you begin to have children. Your greatest concerns are obedience to the law of Moses and your kinship. Okay, now let's shift. As a Jewish woman, you were raised in the knowledge of how to care for your home and family. Women were dependent on the males of their family for provision and protection. Your value was in your ability to marry, again, in an effort to promote your family's benefit, and to bear and raise children. Your time was spent understanding the law in areas like keeping food kosher and menstruation and cleanliness. And as men and women, you've defined your lives by the law of the Lord and keeping it as closely as possible. And yet, you've missed the one who would fulfill the law. I want us to hold on to this perspective as we go back to the text. Keep that in your mind. So we are going back right here as Jesus yields up his spirit. It is so critical that we understand it wasn't just him being put to death in all of these moments leading up to his crucifixion. Jesus is fully and completely in charge. There's no one who's taking something from him. And I think it's so important that we hold on to he yielded up his spirit. He had the authority to do this. There's so much in these verses. Uh, we talked about this in our fold group on Thursday evenings. Plug for fold group if you're not involved in a fold group. Um, but we talked about how this is one of those passages where you're reading about people being raised from the dead and coming out of graves and then they're in the city. And we don't really hear a lot of teaching on that and what that means and what that is. And I'm not going to do that this morning either. <laughs> Um, but we could spend so much time there. There's so much density and depth to these verses. So know that, again, the biggest takeaway in, in what I believe the Lord has for us today 
is that Matthew was very specific and he had great purpose for those who were reading, learning about Jesus through his account. So imagine again, in these moments, the curtain is torn in two. So in Exodus, again, we can go back to the law of Moses and we can read how this, uh, how God instructed this curtain to be fashioned. It was intricate. It was thick. It was, I don't know about you, I have all these sheer curtains on my windows at home. This is massive. It is significant. It was fashioned from blue and purple and scarlet thread. It was very, very intricately made. Uh, And here we see not after the earthquakes and the rocks split, but before signifying this moment that the curtain is torn in two. It wasn't because the rocks were splitting and the earth was quaking. It was because Jesus, just for just Jesus. The temple was a centerpiece for life uh, in those following the law. Um, This is the place where animal sacrifices were carried out um, to those who were following faithfully. Um, Hebrews, if, if all of these the symbolism that's here and um, the depth that's here is very interesting to you. Hebrews is a really beautiful place to learn more about the significance of this text. Um, But Hebrews 9 tells us that in the temple, the veil separated the holy of holies, the earthly dwelling place of God's presence from the rest of the temple where men could dwell. And once a year, the high priest was bringing sacrifices, going into the Holy of Holies to be present to God, um, to account for the sins of the people. And in a sense, the veil was symbolic of Christ himself as the only way to the Father, this curtain being torn. This indicated by the fact that the high priest had to enter the Holy of Holies through the curtain, through the veil. Now, Jesus in his death, has accomplished that there is no separation between God and his people any longer. There is no earthly person who has to be clean and righteous by account of the law. Jesus has come and he has fulfilled the law in doing this. And yet, they didn't understand. They were missing it. They were missing Jesus. In thinking about that truth. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. He had made a new way. They had no idea what was coming. They had no idea what was happening. Again, imagine you are present to the crucifixion, which was a a spectacle of sorts. People would gather, people would watch. I imagine many of the people who were screaming crucify him before Jesus was chosen over Barabbas were present to his crucifixion. And there is so much going on. I bet they were terrified. I would have been terrified. And they didn't know what was happening. I believe the order of events is significant here. 
Because it would be really easy for us to say, well, of course the curtain tore, right? Of course there are earthquakes that are coming. There are so many things that are going on. Of course, there would have had to have been destruction of the buildings and things. But here we see that Jesus has accomplished this first before anything else. <clears throat> There's so much divine symbolism in Matthew. And again, there's so much depth to the text here, so much depth to what he's describing. But I think the picture that is here, earlier in these verses, I believe it's verse 47 or 45 maybe, he talks about the darkness that covered the earth. There's this darkness that covers in the middle of the afternoon, shades everything that's happening, and then these supernatural events start to take place. Um, many scholars believe that none of these things would have been happening because of the way the earth was formed and the places in which this was taking place. This was a, a God moment. This was his intervention. Um, some people believe that this Matthew is, again, writing to his audience because he doesn't want them to miss this. He doesn't want them to miss Jesus for all of the things that are going on. By his description here, we can see that he is who he says he is. Now again, it's 33 AD. We are people well-versed in the Torah. We are people well-versed in the um, expectations that were very present at the time. And yet... We miss Jesus. The people missed him. After we see these supernatural events take place, there are a couple of people that stand out to us here. There's the centurion. Now, the centurion um, is a Roman officer in the Roman army. He was head of a hundred men, centurion, hence the name. And he was leading this day. He would have had a leadership role the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Um, so he and his men are present to this moment. Um, they would have been very familiar with what it, the efforts that it takes to please the gods. They would have been striving to understand and to appease all of the Roman gods for a very long time. So in this moment, again, we see <clears throat> this centurion has this awakening moment. He sees that the curtain is torn. He sees these events that are taking place. And it's this aha that he has for the first time. Um, it says that they feared greatly. They feared greatly. Saying, truly this was the son of God. I think so often we... Um, see Jesus and we see his love and his mercy, yes. But they were terrified in this moment and their maybe first experience of Jesus wasn't his love and mercy and kindness. They had rejected that. They had rejected that. It's in this moment where they see the gravity of his influence and the gravity of who he is that they first acknowledge truly this was the Son of God. And we don't know specifically if that acknowledgement means, yes, they became followers of Jesus that day, followed the way going forward. No. But we do know 
that this centurion acknowledges for the first time that Jesus is not an imposter. He is exactly who he said he was. He is exactly the king that they needed, but the king that they didn't expect. And then we see these women. So verse 55, we'll read this again. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So this is, there are so many Marys here, so I'm going to describe who these people are. Um, So Mary Magdalene, so Mary Magdalene, Jesus had healed, and that account is in Luke 8. You can go back and read that. She had been healed of Uh, seven demons, seven demons had possessed her and Jesus cast them out. And then we have Mary, the mother of James and wife of Cleophas. She was most likely a sister or a sister-in-law of Mary, Jesus' mother. And then we have the mother of Zebedee's sons, Salome is her name. She's referenced another place in scripture. And she is believed to also be Mary, Jesus' mother's sister, Jesus' aunt. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. So, again, kinship, family, right? These women would have been deeply oriented to their family and serving and going, and they were walking with Jesus across his whole life, not just his ministry, but many of them, two, two of these women had been present to him his entire life. And yet in this moment, imagine with me, they are standing, um, scripture says, afar off or a distance away. It could be that the, the foot of the cross was crowded. It could be that the women were not allowed to come beyond a certain um, place to have closeness to the cross. Um, but here they are standing a great distance away And I want you to, again, imagine. Put yourself in their shoes. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Imagine the grief, the depth of their pain in that moment. This was the Savior that they knew so well, and yet they didn't understand. They couldn't know who he would be, who he fully was. They had been, Mary Magdalene had been healed by him. They'd been taught by him. They were present to him. They'd been ministering uh, alongside him, meeting needs and meeting his needs. They were witnesses of all he had done, devoting their lives in caring for him, whether because they were family or because they chose to surrender everything else for the sake of him. They were present there with him at the end, even when so many of his disciples were not, when so many others were not. As we think about this day, I believe that imagining is so important because the same challenges that these people faced in understanding who Jesus was and anticipating him as a king are the same challenges that we face today. We have 
different perspectives on who we think Jesus is. But if we don't understand who he is, then we'll miss him and miss what he has for us. Imagine what it would have been like to have everything that you anticipated called into question. You are this Jewish man, this Jewish woman, and everything that you knew, thought you knew, had been taught by religious leaders at the time. Everything was flipped on its head. The Pharisees thought they knew very well how to do this obedience thing and to please God, and yet their pride and their fear were so great that they missed him. We can allow these things like pride and fear to cause us to miss Jesus too if we don't know who he is. Imagine the perspective of the centurion who for the first time was acknowledging that Jesus was not an imposter but truly God's son. Maybe you've been surrounded by religion your whole life. Maybe the stories of Jesus, the stories of scripture are not unfamiliar to you. You've been trying to please God, please people, kind of follow this religious system, and yet you're missing Jesus. Imagine being these women who knew him so well, but even in their intimate knowledge of his teaching, they could not have imagined what he had in store. They were missing Jesus in his holy purpose. As we reflect, I'm going to ask, invite Jack and Caroline to come. And as we reflect, I want you just to think about where you could be missing Jesus this morning. I want you to think about the places in your life that you, uh, they're, they're dark. They're misunderstood. It's not clear what it looks like to go forward. Maybe there's misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Maybe this, maybe this book, this guidebook is so confusing. Maybe it feels contradictory to you. Maybe there are questions that you have. And I want you to know that God welcomes your questions. He can, he can handle your questions because he is faithful to provide. He is faithful to guide. As you reflect, my prayer is that your prayer would be that of David. At the end of Psalm 139, he prays, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. That's my prayer for us this morning, that wherever you find yourself, wherever you are celebrating this day, this Mother's Day, whether you are grieving this day, whether you are joyous in the places that God has brought you or whether there is so much misunderstanding and pain. Um, Jesus has great purpose for you. And his plan is not hidden. He does not want to hide himself from you. And so as we pray together, um, my prayer for us this morning is that we don't miss Jesus for the sake of everything else. Would you pray with me? Father, you are so faithful. You are so kind. You are so good. Lord, as we 
reflect on your word as we think about what you have for us. God, I ask that you would bring clarity and wisdom, guidance and direction in your good purpose. Father, that you have torn the curtain, you have come near to your people. You are not far from us. And God, we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that as we are seeking you this morning, that you would meet us exactly where we are, whether that's for the first time, Lord, in acknowledging that you are the Savior who has made a way back to God and that we are turning from the sin of our lives toward you, committing to follow you this morning, or whether that is committing to know you in a new way. Father, I pray that you would guide us this morning, that we would not, like so many in this passage, missed Jesus. Lord, would you meet us right where we are this morning?